TWN and True Crime Lovers. I'm your host, Brandy. And I'm Jamie. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. We do what we do so we can see you. Thanks for being here, friends, for Season 2, Episode 8. Well, Jamie, here we are, Season 2, Episode 8. I am so excited about today's show. We have two friends that are joining us today talking all things wine and true crime. But we are actually traveling out of Texas today for our wine and crime of the evening. And we can't wait for them to share their expertise about this delicious wine and this crazy, crazy crime. Huge thanks to our members of Winos and Crimos Club. If you want to join Winos and Crimos, just go to our website, TexasWineAndTrueCrime.com, and scroll down to Kofi and join us there. So lots of cool stuff coming out for our crew. You'll hear your name on our show. You're helping keep the decanter full each and every week. And we're just planning lots of stuff for our members, Jamie. So guys, jump on our site. Go check out Kofi um, to learn more. Now, the crime we chose for this week is the case of Mark Anderson. We are sipping on a delicious white wine named Dominica Amato. It is a 2008 Grenache Blanc out of Sonoma County. It comes straight from our guest's own personal wine club. Uh, So we are going to let them share information about this delicious wine and tell you all about their wine club during our wine recess. And of course, hang out until the end so you can find out how you can get your hands on this delicious wine and so much more. Now, I want to say because we are doing this remote, our friends are, you know, uh, not in Texas. So, you know, we are, we're using Squadcast today. So thank you guys so much for being here. And, and listeners, if there's a little skipping, you know, it's okay because we're going to bring you some great content, some great wine, some great info. So, so just stay tuned for that. Uh, before we jump into the show, though, Jamie, you want to let our listeners know where they can find us on social media? Absolutely. Can y'all hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I just want to make sure. Sorry about that, folks. I was having a little technical difficulties. Um, so, yes, they can find us at TexasWineAndTrueCrime.com. You can also get us on our Instagram at TexasWineAndTrueCrime. And then, of course, you can come find us on Facebook. Just search Texas Wine and True Crime. Hit the Join button, and we'll let you in for the fun. Perfect. And if you listen on Apple or you can just hop on our website and you enjoy the show, please give us five stars because we, well, it only helps, right? Can't hurt us. Um, And make sure to subscribe so your phone can just magically download that next episode and you don't have to do a thing. It's there for you every, every Saturday. All right, Jamie. Well, before we jump into the case, we have to introduce our two guests that we are just thrilled to have here today. Lou Zant and Meredith Griffin, hosts of the popular Major Crush podcast. Major Crush is a podcast for wine lovers hosted by these two wine lovers who absolutely crush on wines. No matter where the wines are from, good wine is definitely their jam. So welcome, Meredith and Lou. We are beyond thrilled to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to be here and be joining your podcast and crush on wine and talk about wine and crime. <laughs> That's kind of our favorite things to do. It's good to be here. I like what you guys are doing a lot. It's oh, great. Thank, thank you. you. 
We are just, um, like I was telling Jamie, just so blessed to have you guys here. Why, I mean, wine and crime, who knew there was such a correlation? We're about to find out what, the, you know, so much about the both of those. Um, and really just so excited to have you here. Guys, go check out their podcast, Major Crush. You will not be disappointed. They interview lots of big names in the wine industry and especially, and also we're going to be talking about um, the book in just a few minutes. And they actually interviewed the author of this book. So definitely go and check out that episode. And you guys tell us more about that in just a bit. So, all right, you guys, are y'all ready to sip some wine and talk some crime? Ready. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Let's do it. Okay. So this week we are talking about the case of Mark Anderson out of Vallejo, California. So usually we give facts about the city in Texas where our crime took place. Um, But we're going to change things up a little bit. And we're going to give you some facts about what makes wine valuable and crime worthy. All right. So let's talk about the producers of the wine, right? So the producers of wine often have legendary stories behind their names. And these brands are often celebrated. So in many ways, you're buying the wine as much as you are buying the story of the wine. And when the story is the only thing you're selling, it's a form of fraud. I cannot wait to talk about wine fraud, by the way. It's it's so crazy. When we got to interview the author of this book and we dove a little bit into that, we I'll be honest, I was naive about how much wine fraud out there. But as they say, it's kind of the perfect, perfect thing for crime because there's already a mystery behind it. It's already bottled in glass. You can't really see what's in there. Like you said, it has these prestigious names behind it. It's kind so of the perfect vessel of it. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Let's talk about scarcity. So each vintage is so uniquely different and that creates the opportunity for that lightning in a bottle moment in time where every element comes together to create something amazing. But there is a finite amount of that wine in existence, which leaves the door open for lots of hinky ways to manipulate the wine market. Tell us more about that. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, like one of the things is, is there is, I mean, there's so many different ways it's done when you dive into it. But it is that again, there's that mystery. It's in a in a bottle that you can't see. It's also how do you, how is there any proof of where the grapes are grown and what the varietals are there? I mean, there are quality control sure set up in there. But as we know, with anything, those can. (laughs) Well, I don't don't know, you know, the story about two buck Chuck. Frenzia said what he did is he had his drivers uh, when they pick the grapes here, you know, they load them into these uh, in the large trucks and they're picking at night, you know, because you don't want the sugar level to change with the effect of the sun during the day. So they start picking about five o'clock in the evening. And so they're mostly done around three or four in the morning. So they park their trucks in line to go get them weighed and sorted and delivered to the right people. And uh, he had his guys go around and change the numbers on the trucks. And, you know, the original uh, two buck Chuck, you could have been drinking Camus or Silver Oak or, or something. You were drinking great wine when that happened. <laughs> and now we have a lot of listeners who probably know a lot about the two buck Chuck. I, I know personally. <laughs> yeah. That is a great yeah. story. I love that. See, yeah. there's so much history about wine. Like, we just need to bring it to well, Another little caveat to that story, too. The reason he came up with $2 is he was talking with Patrick, the, the head buyer at um, at uh, 
Trader Joe's. And he was going through this brutal divorce. And he said, what is the lowest I can charge for this bottle where my ex-wife won't get any money? And that's how they came up with the price. Allegedly. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's the story. Well, that's the story, and I'm sticking to it because that's a great yeah. story. <laughs> We're going to make that one go. And that's one of the uh, – on the heels of what Lou said, too, about the story of the grapes is sometimes also great growers will sell their grapes as a higher quality or a higher priced grape variety than it actually is. They'll actually be selling, you know, a Zinfandel grape, not that, but in, you know, grown in a lesser quality area and claim that it's a Napa Valley cat grape. So again, this doesn't, doesn't probably happen as much as it once did, but apparently in history that was, that happened. Well, listening and reading that book and just about where wine started and how and how it's evolved and um, it's so interesting. Okay, and the next thing I want to talk about, which I did not know, was the scoring of wine. Okay, so this mm-hmm. is interesting because Robert Parker did such a good job in the seventies and eighties of developing the scoring system for wines. Winemakers have to play this game with the consumers and enter their wines into scoring competitions or submit their wines to Robert Parker for validation. But behind the scenes, paid advertising in the right wine magazines can bump up a wine score like nothing else, which is truly a crime when it comes to helping people find wines that they actually like and and introduce to you. So yeah, I want to clarify that that for the listeners. Actually, Robert Parker doesn't play the game. You've seen this wine is rated 94 on Wine Enthusiast or Wine Spectator. What do they have in common? They have magazines and they sell advertising. So it might be questionable as to the score that one of the two magazines gives them. But Robert Parker's pretty straight up. And one time my wife, Sonia, was reading the report from Silicon Valley Bank. She looked up and she goes, you know, you I'm a baby boomer. Um, She goes, you know, two Roberts taught the baby boomers about wine. Robert Madavi taught us it was cool to drink wine and how, how often to drink it. And Robert Parker told us how to buy it with the scores. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And Robert Madavi is brought up in that book, um, which mm-hmm. I learned a lot about about him and really just his the beginning of wine and what and what he did. So that is just so great. So. Well, those are just some fun facts. Let's talk about longevity. So this is the last one of our facts. Because really well-made wines improve over time, wine is very often thought of as an investment. People have sellers that are valued in the millions of dollars. And to keep that value high, wine collector or winemaker goes to incredible lengths to protect the wine and mitigate the variables and conditions that can harm it. Unless you have two grown sons. (laughs) (laughs) yeah hey i could be adopted if you need someone else yeah things just come up missing i can let high crimes high crimes for sure too funny that was interesting all right guys yeah Yeah. i mean wine is definitely you know, very rarely, and I think our new world countries do people like buy a bottle and stash it away, you know, like we drink it very young often, but old world countries, it's normal to 
a DeWine 20 years is nothing in that world, but we tend to buy it. And I think there's a stat and I won't get it right, but I think 90% of wine bought from grocery store selves have consumed within 24 hours. You know, it's a little, little different these than the kind of old world style that often, often, uh, used to age. You know, a story that's crazy to me, uh, guys is <clears throat> there was this movie, you know, we talk about the, what affects wines and, and the prices that movie sideways, yeah. with, uh, you know, uh, two weeks before that movie, a bottle of Merlot was $40 and a bottle of Pinot was 10. And two, two weeks after the movie, a bottle of, of Merlot was $10 and a Pinot was 40. <clears throat> and, you know, it destroyed the P the uh, Merlot market in California for sure. And, you know, I, Merlot, Meredith and I just love it. I mean, we we love Merlot. I mean, it's just such a great grape. It's soft and bouquet and everything about it. And, you know, people diss it. And I go, well, guess what? It's the most expensive grape in the world. You know, when a bottle of Petrus is released, it's it's released at three or $4,000. And that's 100% Merlot. So it's kind of crazy. And I guarantee if it was the last grape on earth, they'd drink it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Good, point. Good point. Well, I had no idea it was the most expensive grape. I and we we hear and and you know what you're right because we talk Jamie and I talk about this a lot. People kind of frown on Merlot and yep. it's too heavy or I'd be like something a little lighter. So I do see that that shift of Merlot to Pinot Noir. That mm -hmm. it's definitely yeah. um something that you know, happens with people that Jamie and I know personally. So, well, yep. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're, we're saying, blame the movie sideways, really. Blame movie sideways. Yeah, blame, blame <laughs> the movie sideways. Although, although the Pinot Noir that he did drink at the, uh, at the uh, bar there at the hotel, one of our really close friends and, and hey, we've done a podcast with her, Lane Tanner actually made that, that wine that he was drinking. Oh, how fun. So that's kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. And, I, so and, cool. And, and I've been, I've had a crush on her for 20 years. I mean, I can't blame him for loving that Pinot. <laughs> it, it's, she's such a great winemaker. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> well, well, Jamie and I were fortunate enough, Lou, to meet you and Sonia in person. And you mentioned Lane and talked about the wine. So um, I, really, I need to look her up and, and look yeah. at her. Her yeah. So definitely need to she's do that. Yeah, she's a, uh, he had a crush on her. He'd been telling me about her and telling me all about her. And then we finally got to interview her and I was like, I get it. I have a crush on her too. <laughs> <laughs> she's an awesome lady. Oh, that, that is so, so cool. cool. Well, yeah, hopefully one day we'll get to talk to her or at least, you know, maybe have a run in with her. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Try, hope her, so. try her wine. Right. Uh, okay, guys. Definitely do that. Let's do it. All right. Let's get into this case. On October 12th, 2005, at 3.15 p.m., Mark Anderson walks into the Wine Central warehouse with a canvas bag and a plastic bucket filled with gasoline-soaked rags. At 3.34 p.m., fire alarms started to blare as explosions rocketed through the building. After eight hours of firefighters fighting the blaze, the once Navy structure built to store torpedoes, other weapons during World War II, built to be protected from earthquakes, was now the place where a quarter billion dollars worth of wine burned and was now worthless. What made Mark Anderson commit the biggest wine crime in history? 
Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll try to speak to Meredith back me up on, on some of this. <clears throat> but, you know, you think about it in 1976, California pretty much won the Judgment of Paris. Well, the biggest event for California wines in history. You know, an $8.80 bottle of Chateau Montalena Chardonnay made by Mikhail Gergrich beat out a $440 bottle of uh, Betrus Montrachet. And uh, Stag's Leap won the best cab and Ridge won the best Zen. It was We just killed it. And I can remember this, that 96, 97, 98, the wines were epic coming out of the valley. So by 99, the wineries needed to make a major shift. And their production was increasing. And obviously, their, their production facilities were getting so packed. So the idea that he had to take these bunkers that uh, were halfway between San Francisco and the wine country. They were a natural 63 degrees. In fact, a little, a little bit of um, history. I understand that this is the location that they actually assembled the atom bomb at, at these bunkers, which is kind of interesting. Wow. And so, yeah. So all the, all these wineries, they would take their libraries and put them there because they didn't, they, you know, literally didn't want them in the way it was, it was affecting their production. And, and so the timing that he, of his idea was perfect. They thought it was safe yeah. and sound, but here we go. <laughs> yeah. You think your wine's safe somewhere. Right. It's not. <laughs> yeah. And, and we start to learn a lot about him and people started to, you know, they, they trusted him yeah. and mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to figure out where things went wrong with this guy. Um, I so we'll we'll get into that. But um, any any input you guys might have on him? Yeah, greed was and Jamie used a good word, spite. We'll talk about that towards the end why he did this, but um, a little jealousy and spite maybe. So Francis Dinkelspiel, who you guys interviewed on your podcast. Again, she wrote Mm -hmm. the book, Tangled Vines, Greed, Murder, Obsessions, which is about this case. Uh, And most of the Mm -hmm. details that I'll bring up and talk about is um, from the book and just articles that I was able to find. But it was so fascinating. I could not stop reading it. And Mm -hmm. just so many things that I had no idea about when it comes to wine and crime, when it comes to this crime in general. Before Lou and I talked, I had never even heard of this crime. So, Mm -hmm. and, and to be the biggest wine crime in history to me is just so fascinating. Um, And really just, like I said, we could sit here and probably talk about it um, for hours, but so how was that interview with her? Um, Were you guys just as fascinated as I was listening to that? And tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, like you said, her book, she does such a great job of letting the story unfold and giving you the background and also going into much deeper history about California wine country in general. And, the you know, kind of it's had a lot of murder and mystery and all of that for hundreds of years. But her interview was fascinating because one of the things is she actually went and interviewed him in person. So she sat face to face with him. So I think her recounting that I was just uh, to me to have, you know, and she kind of fibbed her way to get into interview. She said she was a reporter about the crime, but really she was doing it more for her book and her own personal because she lost family wine in that. Her her great, 
was it her great grandfather Lou or her great great grandfather? You know, wine from yeah. 1875. They lost several cases, and so she had a personal connection to it. So I was like, I couldn't get over that she sat and interviewed him face to face. Well, and, yes, and think, and you know, guys, think about that piece of history that's missing. You know, mm-hmm. these were wines. Was it seventy five or or even older? And what's crazy I when I read it, eighteen seventy five. 1875. Yeah. Uh, Rancho Cucamonga. I mean, how all of us have, have driven through when you go from L.A. to Palm Springs, you know, you go through Rancho Cucamonga and, you know, it's all houses. And all, that's where the first vineyards were. You know, it's really mm-hmm. cool. And to tie into Texas, it was the Spaniards, you know, weren't they the same? Isn't that how Texas started too with the missions? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in those days, it was all communion grapes, you know. Yeah, more for for communion. Yeah, Frances was an amazing, she was awesome to talk to because that, and then she also, she ended up sharing the one bottle she had left with Fred Dane, who is, anyone's watched Master Psalm or has gotten into the Psalm series, Fred Dane is considered like the master sommelier out there. And she got to interview him and share this wine with him. And she said at first he was a little kind of, you know, like anyone who's this writer I'm interviewing a little put off, but once they opened up the wine and they expressed it, she got what wine is all about, how it connects people because immediately then it connected them. And he sat and talked about the wine for hours or something. She said, Lou, didn't she? Yeah. And he's, and she said, he said it was good. I can't yeah. believe that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, and I had no, so I found out something interesting too. And I, it's interesting how we find out facts about things we enjoy. So I was happened to watch this Texas history channel thing. And I did not know that the oldest vineyard in Texas is in Del Rio, which is right next to an old mission, which is actually next to one of the biggest outdoor museums in Texas. So I need to be making a trip to Del Rio, Jamie. We need to Oh, be- not, with, not without Meredith and I. No way. Yeah, we got We're come on. We have I a watched, lot of traveling to do together. Yeah. I watched <laughs> a special on it on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> you did? On Del Rio. Oh, yeah. It was, I love it, that. That's so great. It's cool. Oh, Del my Rio. God. That looks yeah, so fun. cool. That would be so Rose. fun. And I've never, been, I've never been to Del Rio. Yeah, that would be cool. I haven't either. Okay. All right. So I want to read, I want to read a quote um, from Tingled Vines. Um, and she says, quote, the history of the California wine tree dating back to the 19th century is a tale of vineyards with dark and bloody past, rich men, strangling monopolies, the brutal enslavement of vineyard workers and murder. Five of the wine trade murders were associated with. Now, I'm probably going to say this wrong. And I had to put it into that, you know, that Google translate. Is it I see us? I-C-I-S-A-I-A-S, Hellman. Oh, yeah. That's her great-grandfather, isn't it? Okay. I don't want to I hate realizing. I hate her. I don't like it. That was a hard one for me, though. Pretty much the founder of Wells Fargo Bank. You're, you're, I'll be honest, your, your, your guess at saying that is as good as ours, probably. So, <laughs> he'll, for, he, and, and I, ch- I checked with him. He forgave us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Forgive we went back and forth. We were like, is it I see us? I say us. I see us. I see. We we're like, oh. I I, I'm like, he's German. Jewish, like I'm trying to think, would that impact how you say it? But I go with what you guys went with. I'm I'm down yeah. with that. 
<laughs> okay, so we'll come back to the Wells Fargo thing because I didn't know that, and I have to, I love facts. Yeah. I need to know these facts. Okay, so his the, his vineyard in Rancho Cucamonga, be, beginning with the killing of John Rains, who owned the land at the time, he was shot several times, dragged from a wagon, and left off the main road for the coyotes to feed on. <laughs> yeah. The wow. old wild west. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really, I can't, well, this, this is just like getting my, you know, like feet in the water a little bit about wine and crime and the history of crime involving wine. So I, this is just the beginning for me and Jamie, we are, we are so excited to learn so much more um, about this. So now Something else that was mentioned when the wine industry, um, just talking about always has like a cutthroat when, you know, it can be a cutthroat industry that relies on a lot of luck and chance. And I think we had talked about this for a lot of money to stay at the top. Um, and as an agricultural product, there are so many things that fall outside of the winemaker's control, um, which makes thriving in the wine industry just almost heroic on some levels. Uh, but it makes it a game of chance that can attract um, players to the mix. Players. So tell me, tell me, tell me what it's like. I, I really just want to kind of get, you know, a quick synopsis of what it's like to be in the wine business. What is a day in the life well, of the, in the wine I'm business? Gonna, I'm going to share that quote, Meredith, that uh, Chris Madrigal gave me. He said, um, show me a winemaker that's an atheist and I'll show you a fool. You better have a pretty good prayer life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good line. And it, what the other line is, if you want to make a small fortune, you start with a large one. That's, I mean, oh. in the wine. <laughs> but, but also, uh -oh. Meredith and I, you know, we, we, we were, you know, taught really clearly. And, and a great quote from one of our instructors said that the best fertilizer for the vines is the footprints of the uh, winemaker. And mm -hmm. You know, what's what's been happening and hopefully is beginning to unwind is there's been a no lot of unintended. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> no too because you guys are drinking unwind Chardonnay today. Uh, but uh, the um, uh, you know, there was a roll up with big corporations and, you know, you, we were blown away with the statistic that three out of four wines that are sold retail today are one company, Gallo. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no way when you when you guys come out and you meet our friends and a lot of these guys, these friends that we've done podcasts with, you taste their wines and they're like a piece of art. Uh, it, you know, they're just so beautiful and thoughtful. And, you know, you could you know, they were there when the, the temperature got a little too high and they had to bring it down with some dry ice and. You know, just all the little things, right, Mayor? Yeah, it's so true. And I think that's the thing you're talking about being in the wine industry. When people come and they buy, especially land in Napa or Sonoma, there's so much there. It is so expensive to do that. So there's all this pressure to make a certain wine style that appeals to the masses that can get on big shelves and every like everyone likes it. And what's for what's been lost in that is the diversity of wine that exists out there. And so that to us is a little bit of a crime. So we're so fortunate we get to meet a lot of these smaller winemakers that don't necessarily have the pressures because they're not trying to make, they're not trying to be millionaires off of it. They're just trying to live true to their passion for making wine. And so when doing that, they're much truer to the process. So their wine tastes unique. Like the, we'll talk about the one you're drinking. They do that from a true passion and they're not trying to just make like a 
I sometimes call it a cookie cutter wine that kind of you see on the shelves. And those are great. They have a place for everyone. Like I don't ever like to diss, but the problem is, is we've gotten too many of those and not enough diversity in the wine. And it's harder for people to stay true to their passion and what they started doing it because of the cost to manage a vineyard and to make wine anymore has become so astronomical. So tell us, isn't there a statistic of actually how much wine makes it onto shelves? Yeah, yeah. Out of the yeah. out of all the wineries, which is over ten thousand wineries, only three percent you'll ever see on the shelves. And yeah. so, not ninety seven percent of these these beautiful wineries will never be tasted by the ninety nine percent of the people that don't come here. That's such a shame. Ugh. The people are missing out. It really is. Well, yeah. you might stay tuned for the Major Crush app. We're going to try to bridge that with your help and everybody's help. You know, we'll just start. We're we're going to start championing these these wineries. That, yeah. You know, they can't. They make they make 150 cases of a varietal. Well, Safeway wow. they start at 300,000 cases. You know, you can imagine what goes into making that wine. Yeah. Um, you know. It's a shame. Don't get me. Don't get me started with like how much Costco and, you know, everybody else. Right. I mean. We could go off on a tangent on the <laughs> three-tier system and distributors and conglomerates. Yeah. But that's, that's a for, crime. That's, that's a good crime. Episode. That's a crime. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Well, and I want, yeah, another, we need to do that one. That's number two, guys, because I need to know yeah. more about that. Yeah. <laughs> that's another episode <laughs> because that you go down a rabbit hole into. Oh, but I will. If you want to, you probably want to get back to the uh, the crime and uh, yeah, Mark yeah, Anderson. You, what what led to the crime? Yeah. Lou, do you want to say something? Well, I mean, I, I think for me, you know, as you know, I get together with all as many as the guys that are still around that were affected by it. Every October, we meet at a, at the Italian Club in San Francisco. And we bring two of our our oldest wines and and best wines, and there's usually about ninety wines out there, ninety to a hundred wines. And I sit around and listen to the stories, you know. And it, it it was kind of that the what they call it like the perfect moment. It was you know they a lot of people didn't know about Mark because he was he predominantly hung out in Sausalito, and you know he went to law school. He wasn't a dummy. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, but he, he was way overweight, had a, had a voracious appetite and he loved sushi Ron, you know, the most famous sushi place in Northern California. And I'm, I can tell you this, I can't go, I, I don't know, Meredith, you and David, I can't go near a sushi restaurant without a hundred bucks. I mean, it's just like, oh, I don't know where yeah. it goes. And, yeah, uh, no. you know, I think his appetite got a hold of him and, you know, the story, what I heard is, um, the, the lady at Longmeadow Ranch up, you know, in central um, Napa there, <clears throat> she got a phone call one day and they said uh, it was from like Chicago. And they said, can we get another case of that 1986 cab? And she went, I've never sold that 86 cab. And that triggered it along with the, you know, the actual story that, that, um, was written in the book where the guy finally came to get, get his wines and oops, but he was yeah. selling it out the back. And, and, you know, these weren't hundred dollar case wines. These were expensive wines and, you know, I'm sure he was feeding his habit. I yeah. think where it seemed to all, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. 
No, no, please go. I would say where it seemed like it all started to go down was he got the idea to become one of those sites that stored other people's wine for them. If, you know, restaurants or people who had high end or didn't want to, you know, sometimes if you get wine shipped to you, it's hard, you know, you have to be home to sign. So he became a place that started accruing this. He had his Sausalito cellars and, you know, somewhere in there when he started hurting financially because he liked to live at the higher income doing things and he didn't have the finances he found he could start those wines that were other people's wines he started selling off and found I guess how easy it was and how much money he could have but once you get into one lie it creates multiple lies and that kind of started the spiral but can't you guys go ahead go ahead ahead, no go ahead Lou Uh, you know can't you guys don't you just when you're reading this story or listening to it, you you just shake your head and go, dude. There was so many other ways for you to do this instead of a quarter of a billion dollars right. worth of arguably some of the best wines we would ever have the ability to taste. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. And, I, go ahead. And the irony was, and this is a quote from Francis that I think is so interesting, is that while he probably, I think he's accused, he destroyed the largest amount of wine and recorded in history. But when it came to wine, he had a poet's heart and the words to express, express it. So when he talked about wine and drank wine, like his passion just exuded him. So then to destroy some of the most valuable and special wine. Well, and it sounds like he could have, it sounds like he could have had it all. It sounds like if he could have done this in a certain way, he could have lived that lifestyle. And I'm glad you kind of brought up an intro to him, right? Because you did mention he went, went to law school. I, I In the book, it says he got several degrees, but actually never passed the California, California bar exam. But, you know, when you go to law school, you kind of know your way around the police and investigators. And we'll get into that when it came to like questioning him when they were looking for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you mentioned, he was part of the Sausalito community, but people never really knew where he got his money from. Um, His brother didn't have very nice things to say about him. He did say their father used to give him, give him money. But um, so it seemed like he had this and it could, it may go back to why he did this in the first place was I think he wanted that lifestyle. I think he wanted that life, maybe having so many degrees, but never having like a career in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it was the easy way, right? A con man, easy way to make, to make money. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know what I from that. I'm pretty convinced. I'm pretty convinced he had a mental disorder. I think I said the same thing to Brainy. I go, I, I think this guy is crazy. Like there's something not right because I mean, and that, mm-hmm. unfortunately when people are extremely smart sometimes, right. They think they're smarter than everyone else. Or they start, you know, there's something that's going on. And I think that's kind of maybe the way that he was, but I don't, I'm not really sure. But mm-hmm. I think for sure we need to like maybe tell the listeners a little bit more about like what the case, like, because we're talking about it right yeah. now. Like we all know what the hell yeah. is going on, right? And right, right, like, right. <laughs> so, like, so let's talk about, yeah. So let's talk about what, like, let's go back to Sausalito times, right? So he had the Sausalito Cellars, which is a wine storage company that he started in 1999. Um, in 2003, so let's let's talk about this a little bit. The restaurateur who had stored his wine at the Sausalito Cellars uh, mm-hmm. 
was able to finalize his case, right? So, which meant now he could sell the wine he had stored and distribute the funds. But when he went to go pick it up, I think he should have had about 756 cases, but there was only about 145 there. Yeah, which is a pretty big discrepancy. Pretty big discrepancy. I think he's going to notice. A few cases. I don't know how that's going to notice that. It's not like I I drank a bottle, you know, to see what it tasted like. Yeah. I was so curious. Now, I would would look immediately to my sons. Uh, uh, (laughs) I mean... I remember reading this in the book and I thought, seriously, like that, I mean, <laughs> you know, maybe there were 700 and you, 756 and there were only 700 when you came to pick up, but 144. <laughs> and I guess, you know, as the story goes in the book, you know, the driver took him back and then takes him back to where um, the owner that was going to try and sell him. And he's like, I'm missing a bunch of cases. And that Mark Anderson thought he could just say, no, 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 no. That was all you dropped off initially. Oh, like, Again, thinking you're smarter than everyone else. Yeah, that's <laughs> a big number to be missing. Dear Lord. I mean, yeah. I worked in restaurants for a long time. We'd have a wine delivery, you know, and I was always doing the one that, like, that did the check-in. I would know like when one case was missing, I'd be like, there's a case of, you know, silver oak missing, you know, like, so I'm yeah. sure it'd be obvious when there was, you know, 600 cases missing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, I think somebody that wrote, a, wrote a song about it. It wasn't me. Okay. So then the International Food and Wine Society stored several of its best wines and they went to the storage and noticed that that some of them were out of order and then some of the boxes were missing. So what is that all about? Like, yeah, as she writes it, that they go to again, pick and do like their inventory and take it out. And, you know, they had a very, like most people would very um, way of inventorying, you know, numbers and codes and had them stashed and they were all out of order. But then I think one of the biggest things was like opening up, I think they had a couple of those nice wood boxes that sometimes like really the magnums or the large bottles come in and they opened it up and there was no wine in it. Or wasn't one, Lou, I think one was like, it was a really expensive French and instead in its place was like a two buck chuck bottle. Like it was something (laughs) they had replaced it with like someone wouldn't wouldn't notice that. So there were a few of these kinds of things that started kind of, and they were reporting them. And so I think it finally, they had enough uh, investigators started enough to go start investigating this. And then he was trying to elude these inv- investigations. And I think that's when then he opened up the additional storage at the place in yes. Vallejo because he was trying to evade what was happening at Sausalito Cellars. Yeah. So I heard, I was reading that he moved the rest of the line. To, mm-hmm. to Vallejo. And um, okay, so for our listeners to kind of get an idea of the place we're talking about that mm. he, he attempted to burn completely down. Um, <laughs> so it, first of all, it was home to some of the finest and oldest, the world's finest and oldest wines. Mm-hmm. Um, the wine was stacked on pallets about 40 feet high and stretched the length of two football fields. Okay, just a fi- just picture that gloriness of like right. I mean, <laughs> for we were crying. I we mean, were like, I mean, oh. we don't like when 
we don't like when people are murdered, but wine, I there's mean, a lot of wine to murder. This is the hardest game there was ever a lot. I'm sweating like profusely. <laughs> <laughs> You've you've now ticked me off. Oh no! Right? Was, <sighs> I think it was four point five million bottles. Unbelievable! If I remember that correctly? I think that's what it was. That would have lasted us yeah. like at least a few years between the four of us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's a that's yeah. a good dozen podcasts right there. Yeah, we could have had and some really, good parties. Hell yeah, we could right. And really, you think about it, they built this place to be indestructible. I mean, yeah. indestructible. Irony. Except for the, the irony. 300-pound man with a bucket of gas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They never, and that, they never figure that one. <laughs> and, and he just walked right in. So we'll, we'll talk We'll talk about. Um, and, and can I just say that the manager of that place she is a down chick. That woman, I, I mean, I, I need to meet that lady because she, yeah. she, her radar was good on, and she just did not like him, and she didn't get good vibes from him, and and we will, we will learn why. So, I, okay, the only, the only person I think liked him was Ron from Sushi Ron because he spent a lot of money there, you know, yeah. <laughs> from selling everybody else's wine. I, we were just talking about sushi, like, because I eat way too much. I told Jamie, I think, I, I hope I don't get, like, that stomach thing or, like, eating too much sushi. But, yeah, you know, it's hard to not spend money when you're having sushi, for sure. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I, under, I understand his passion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I told Brady, okay, guys, well, now? Uh-huh. No, I was saying, no, I was saying, and I told you it sneaks up on you at the end. Like, once all the rice, like, and the, I know. all the fish starts to settle in because you're shoveling it in, you know, like snacks. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, God, now it'll feel good. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, oh, guys, well, now it's time for our wine reset. Oh, look. Oh, fun. Yay. Yay. This is, uh, this refill. is Oh, uh, refill. So this is Leah Meredith's first wine recess with us. And I want to yeah. just talk about themselves. But um, so tell us about the wine we're drinking today, because um, first thing Jamie and I noticed was the smell of it. Uh-huh. it um, we can't put our fingers on it quite yet. It was a mix of, um, well, I don't know. I'm gonna let you tell us and then I'll, and we'll know if we're on the right, we're on the right track. Well, I guess first, first we'll talk yeah, with, I'll, I'll let you talk about the wine. First, we'll introduce it. Emmett, it's from Emmett Scorzone Wines, and um, it's Michael Scorzone and Palmer Emmett are the two winemakers there. <laughs> Great guys. We interviewed uh, – Michael was like our second podcast interview. But this so is cool. what we're talking about. They do this out of passion. It's literally the two of them and a harvest intern that make their wine. That's it. Three guys. Um, oh, my goodness. And – they make fantastic. They're up in, uh, they're in Sonoma County, um, in is it dry Creek officially is where they're located, but then they have, and they have their own estate lines, but then they also get grapes from a few other others, but they're just from people who are making wine truly for the passion of making wine. You don't, it doesn't get better than these guys. And this is a fantastic wine that Lou can talk about. And I always like to come in with some food pairings. At the end. Oh, yeah, terrific. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, what we're talking, guys, is about a, a wine and a grape called Grenache Blanc. And, you know, you're going to hear a lot of prejudice from uh, Meredith and I because we live in Sonoma. And there's a popular saying that says Sonoma makes wine, Napa makes auto parts. And um, 
<clears throat> I will not uh, confirm or deny that. But... but we still we still have respect and love for Napa. Yeah, we yeah we give it up for Napa. I think the 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 reason is Napa real estate went off the went just off the table. You know, uh, an acre of land in Napa runs between one and three million dollars. So you better plant Cabernet Sauvignon where you can get one hundred twenty five, hundred fifty, three hundred dollars a bottle. The land in Sonoma County is like thirty to sixty thousand. So we get to just bomb all these phenomenal varietals, and we have forty different microclimates uh, just in Sonoma, the the main area, um, and the diversity of the county of Sonoma is crazy. The whole west side is on the ocean, so you've got that continual ocean breeze. And you have this phenomena about every afternoon around 4, 4.35, this beautiful blanket of fog comes in and rolls over the vines after it's been 103, 105 degrees. And it'll just drop them down to about 50 degrees. And, um, you know, that, that beautiful foggy air gets into the grape. And you get, like, I can even taste a little salt in this Grenache Blanc right now. You know, and I love that. And when Mare tastes this and she starts to thinking about pairing, it's like off the hook. But I'm getting green apple on I this the apple. and some pineapple. Apple. I'm getting some pineapple on it. And, you know, Grenache Blanc is is very popular in Rhone. It's, it, you know, you have Gr- Grenache in Spain, which is the second uh, most planted grape next to Tempranillo, which I think both of those should and could grow great in Texas. And I know they're starting to really uh, pay attention to it. But then I was reading some other grapes that are going well there, Pickpole and Senso. And these are all Rhone varietals. So obviously it's um, it's very similar to the, to the diurnal temperatures there, but I don't think Texas gets as cool at nights as we would mm-hmm. get. And mm-hmm. so the acidity stays a little bit brighter and the acidity shows up in the a little bit higher flavor, right, Mayor? Like more of a, more of the fruit mm-hmm. is, is based mm-hmm. on the pH of the acidity. And one of um, the things they talk about is what's so great. Exactly what Lou's talking about with this is that you have these warm days that really help the grapes ripen, but these cool nights allow for the acid to stay high, stay high in the grapes because the grapes can cool at night. So it gives it this beautiful balance of getting all those fresh fruit flavors you want, but still having a nice bright acidity. When we talk about acid, we're talking like, like that's a positive thing that you want in wine because it gives it brightness. Um, so exactly, like, I think that's what getting all those fruit flavors you're getting out of there, Lou. Yeah. So Rhone, the Rhone Valley is famous for Syrah, like up in the very top at Cote Rote. You get down around uh, Cote Hermitage and, and Chateauneuf de Pop, you start introducing Grenaches and a third grape called Maved. And we're really excited because in the Crush Collection, uh, uh, four bottle collection that Meredith and I crush on every month, and we pick four bottles each month. <clears throat> we just, we, I just got introduced to this awesome French winemaker, and so we put our order in today for the wines. We're going to start with a one hundred percent two thousand and eleven Syrah, very, made very Cote Rote. Then next month we're going to do a Grenache Syrah blend. It will be the the full uh, red Grenache. 
the next month we're doing a Grenache Syrah Maved blend. So it's going to be fun to kind of play with the next three months. And then we're going to throw in a Grenache Syrah Maved rosé that will blow your mind. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Jamie, yep. we love rosé. We love rosé. Yeah. <laughs> All day. It's per- All day. It's, it's perfect for those hot summer days in Texas, yes. for sure. <laughs> for sure. Rosé is so yeah. good. Okay. So, Mayor, yeah. what would you pair this with? So I have a couple things that I love it with, but we also were in, we we're able to interview Michael Scorzone. So people can go to majorcrushwines.com and actually see the winemaker interview. And Michael Scorzone was actually used to be a chef. So if he's a fantastic person to get pairings. And but I he said um like a creamy, cheesy pasta would be really good with this. Um because that acid that you guys were talking about kind of helps cut through the fat to kind of bring out the the flavors something that my husband and i have had it with my husband loves um the dungeness crab that's in sonoma oh. this, this time of year and so i make these dungeness crab rolls and it is one of my favorite pairings with the dungeness crab roll but really you could put the dungeness crab on you could do a salad with or anything but the crab with the texture and the acidity in this is a beautiful pairing and then the other thing is just some great cheeses like a great brie or Lou, what's the one that at Cheese Factory? More Foggy Morning. Yeah, um, Foggy I Morning. I always say the name. Great. Foggy Morning would be a just. And at the end of the day, to me, this is a wine you don't need anything with, and can just sit on the porch and sip without oh, any yeah. food. Yeah, it's we're really enjoying good. it. I think chicken enchiladas too. Chicken and I wow, <laughs> that's not, all of that sounds really good. That's the yeah. same. Yeah. <laughs> that's Lou missing. It's a gotta, really first. You got to give it up for Texas, Mayor. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point. Very it's good. a very vers- versatile wine, very versatile wine, and it would go with sushi. Speaking of sushi, I think this would go great with some sushi too. Really would. That's awesome. So, uh, okay. So tell us as far as like major crush is concerned, um, tell us about like, where, where do the wines are, you know, where do you pull them from for your wine club? Tell us, tell our listeners how they can check out your wine club. Um, why you started your wine club? Well, we started our wine club because we were doing our major crush podcast where we were going out and talking to all these fantastic winemakers. And we were hearing from our listeners, like I, like you talk about hearing from your listeners that we were making them thirsty for wine and they wanted to be able to start drinking some of the wines that we were talking about. So Lou and I were like, all right, well, let's see what we can do. (laughs) So (laughs) we started. And so we are fortunate enough. Like we talk about the one that you're drinking was one of the people we had on our podcast and we just have some great friends and connections throughout wine and go seeking the best wines that we can find to put into the, to the club. Yeah, we do a four bottle collection for $89 a month delivered, you know, we deliver it to your wherever you want at your office, your your house. Your office. And um <laughs> Yeah, there yeah. you go. Uh, and there, my nose, we're just dropping off wine. <laughs> <laughs> All the, not because, to the wine not to right. the wine storage place where someone else holds your wine. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, not trusting anyone. I'll be home. I'll be home there to sign. You know, the, right? And, Mer- and Meredith, and Meredith, and I are good beggars. And <laughs> you know, a lot of our, a lot of these guys give us great deals on these wines awesome. because you know, just like today, we're talking about MS Corzona. That's a lot of people are going to hear that name, which excites Meredith and I because they're just two of the greatest guys on the planet. I think Michael 
Meredith is absolutely one of the top five winemakers in all of California. And um, when you when is anybody ever going to hear about him? And then what we take it another level, which is people have really enjoyed. Um, Meredith and I do a video on every single wine in the box, and we really go deep with it. Like, what are we seeing? What are we smelling? What are we tasting? And then we do these fun videos called Pair with Mare. And I get to sample <laughs> the final fun. deal, which I love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's really kind of bringing people's awareness to it. I mean, a lot of people would never drink a Grenache Blanc or know to order one, but mm-hmm. it's sort of a fun deal. Right. And at the end of the day, our biggest goal is we want we want more people to crush on wine, but we want to create a wine community. We're all about community because wine really does connect people. So bringing people together to share wine. And our goal is hopefully like through our Facebook page where people will start sharing their recipe that they tried with one of our wines or, you know, what special occasion they had it with and share what they're smelling and tasting. So we start to create a community um, where wine connects us, but then it builds upon that. Yeah. I love it. Well, I, yeah, we love it. We love your wine. We've, by the way, listeners, I know over 60% of our audience is out of Dallas, just a little FYI for people out there. And our friend Lou here is actually from Texas and literally grew up about 20 minutes from where I live. Yeah. So when I got the privilege of meeting Lou, it was an instant connection and guys, your wine is delicious. We're going to let our listeners know all about it. You were so kind to send us Four bottles. We've only had one, Lou. I kept my promise. I kept my mouth <laughs> off the wine. Oh, come but on. I still have, I did. Oh, no, I she's have, not drinking that without me. Don't you tell her, oh, come I on. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so Jamie and I now have to have three more bottles of the wine and talk to our friends. So we can't wait to share and, and talk more because you guys are just so cool. Check out their wine club, majorcrushwineclub.com. And we are going to put all that information on our link and website. So thank you guys so much for sharing all of that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. You're yeah, so thank welcome. You. Yeah. All right. Let's jump back into the case. Okay, so let's talk about what happened on the day of the crime. So I was talking about Debbie Pulverino. Uh, I'm sorry, Pulverino. <laughs> Debbie Pulverino. I have to sometimes the names. No, you're um, and she was the manager of Wine Central. So I like Debbie. Um, and she, she in the book, they talked about on the day of October 12th. It was just a, a quiet day. They were actually about to close. Um, earlier than their regular closing time. Mm -hmm. And there were two people there in the warehouse that day. There was Mark Anderson, and then there was one truck picking up sugar. Okay. So the person driving the truck was there. Um, They also stored sugar from CNA. Right. Randomly, they also had a storage for whatever reason. Probably to keep it cold. That's why... I was thinking when yeah. I read that, oh, probably to keep so. it cool from like keeping it sticking together or like uh, that's so what I was thinking. too humid. Yeah. 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 Humidity Probably. control. Uh, yeah. So Debbie was not a fan of Mark Anderson. So she picked up on his little shenanigans really early on. Now I know he was, I think he was friends with the person, one of the guys who actually owned the building. Right. Right. So right. there was a connection there and she knew that, but she mm-hmm. always said he was constantly late on his rent um, he stopped mm-hmm. responding to clients, um, and it got it got so bad. They actually asked him to move out, completely yeah. move out um, in September. But he actually missed the deadline 
Yeah, because what was happening is people were trying to contact him at Sausalito Cellars and he wasn't responding. So they started calling her at Wine Central to try and get access to their wine. And he just was ignoring all of that. <laughs> all of that. Interesting. Okay, so he so he started moving, if I'm correct, I want to make sure I'm right about this. He started moving the wines out, right? Just mm-hmm. a few weeks earlier than like than he was supposed to be being kicked out and his, so we only left a few pallets on the day of the fire. Okay. Yeah. So, so she was there. She, she sees him run out soaking wet sweat. Now remember this, I do believe he had, he had a cane. He, he was, um, he, he walked with a cane. He was over 300 pounds. So it wasn't like, you know, he walks, you know, very briskly. So she thought it was a little odd, that he's yeah. like running out, soaking wet, and looks like he's got somewhere to, or he looks like he's getting the hell out of Dodge, right? That's what he looks right. like. He up to no good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Up yeah. To no and good. he and he didn't say a word. He just ran past yeah. her, and just which probably wasn't that unusual because it didn't sound like he was super friendly to begin with. But right. Okay, but then he does something really weird that, and then her her radar goes way up. He calls her ten minutes later. And basically says, are you still there? And Mm -hmm. he's telling her that he's going to visit his ailing father and that he would be back in a few days. And she's like, this is odd. Why is, why is this guy telling me this? Yeah. He's never give, never shared that much information with her before talked about his scheduling and when he'll be back. He's usually very aloof and Yes. So my question, my question that I'm trying to get to gauge from, from the book was, was he doing this to keep her safe? No. Or was he doing it to not get caught? He He was covered. Yeah. Okay. He was trying to create his alibi. Right. Okay. Okay. I was just wondering, like, did he think she was going to go into there and maybe he was like trying to see, because he asked her, are you still there? He didn't give a crap about her and her safety. There's no way. He's just like, let me try and see. I'm going to go to my dad's and check on him. And then he's like, and I also don't want her to see me so that she can't identify me when I run in there and put this thing on blaze. Like, no, he didn't care. about. (laughs) No. Yeah. You're right. That's what a brandy. When I first read it, I was with you. I was like, "Oh, maybe he was trying to." Oh, yeah. her. And then as you kind of, it's, it's yeah, our learn, way, Mary. It's our way. Yeah. I, no. Jamie's and like, then you, "Hell no!" And I'm like, "Oh." Yeah, but Jamie yeah. and Lou, Jamie and Lou know the real deal. Yeah. And I'm a Pisces, so I'm normally like, "Oh," but no, man, I don't put up. I know what I see a shady. I see a shady person when I see a shady person. You know. <laughs> And my middle name's Debbie, so I'm like, oh, I'm with this, I'm with this Debbie. <laughs> and, 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 and did I share? I've raised two boys. Oh, yeah. I've heard it all. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard it all. <laughs> okay, so then the explosion happens, right? And and she she's not sure what exactly is going on. And then it's 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 in flames. And then here comes the investigation, right? So the firefighters come. It takes eight hours to put this out. Um, so in the book, at the while this is going on, the people, the winemakers are getting phone calls about like, hey, it's the warehouse is on fire. It's on fire. It's on fire. Mm-hmm. People are rushing there, trying to get their wine out. Um, there was one person that was mentioned, and I didn't, one of the winemakers, and she actually left, went, saw some of her wine that was still able to get out, went and got a team of workers and trucks went back and like moved it out. So 
There was just so much going on with like phone calls and people don't know what to, your, my wine is on fire. What do you mean my wine is on fire? So yeah, you guys want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, what's 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 something that's really important to know is that if a wine, a bottle of wine is exposed to heat over 86 degrees for a period of time, it'll, it'll spoil. Yeah, gross. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. a lot of them, oh. even though they may not have been burned, the expo right, Meredith, to the heat. Yeah, the yeah, the wine inside would have had damage to it, even if it it that bottle itself didn't explode. But I think to like what <laughs> Lou will talk about this, like the wine community is very tight knit and it's really small. So if one person he- heard there was a fire at Wine Central, you know for sure they were on the phone right away calling any friend they knew. That was related to the wine because it's a tight community and everybody knows each other, knows what's going on. So as soon as one call was made, it was everybody knew something was happening. And then obviously the smoke starting to come up. Vallejo is uh, Vallejo is it's not really South Napa. Well, it is South Napa, right, Lou? How would you say that? All the way south. I would say it's like halfway between Napa and Sonoma South, right? Wouldn't it? Yeah, we're trying to give an idea of uh, where Vallejo Vallejo is. It's what is that? Probably twenty miles south of south twenty miles southwest of Napa, downtown Napa. Right, and so about twenty miles south of Sonoma, and it's about about you know once you cross the Golden Gate Bridge coming out of San Francisco, you can be in Vallejo in thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think most people that have probably driven from San Francisco up to have gone through it. Right. I mean, they may have not noticed. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. A lot of times that's the quicker way to get to Napa from San Francisco. Yeah. So you've gone through it. But yeah, so it's uh, people knew as soon as one person knew. Everybody knew. Yeah. So 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 there were yeah all the winemakers, they were, you know, calling people, calling each other trying to figure out what's going on. So let's talk a little bit about after the eight hours and the fire is put out, let's talk yeah. about the investigation yeah. a little bit. Okay. So Mr. Latham, um, who was mm-hmm. the, the head investigator on the case because the ATF was involved um, mm-hmm. and they were looking for obvious signs of arson, right? We have a, there's a mm-hmm. fire and it burned. Um, and he mm-hmm. was actually an expert in arson and crimes around wine which mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, right. And between the 1980s and 1990s, um, he was actually a part of another case involving fraud um, committed by California grape growers selling just cheap grapes and wine as expensive varieties. So that's something you mentioned. Right. That mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of crazy to know that it happened just in the 80s to 90s. It doesn't seem like that long ago. Oh, it's still probably happening. Really uh, it, was, it was a lot looser. And now we have an agency called COLA that every label has to be approved and, you know, yeah. okay. they've taken the measures. Yeah. They learned from all of that for sure. <laughs> uh, well, they do know that the fire was started in the mezzanine. Mm-hmm. And I believe that is where he was storing all of his clients wine was in the mezzanine level of that. And they had a lab. Jamie and I love yeah. labs. We both yeah. have labs. Yeah. Um, and Rosie, the yellow lab, um, was brought up in the book. And so Rosie sniffed out some accelerants and said, so they were pretty sure this is an arson. So when she got to Mark Anderson's storage bay, 
she sat down, lifted her head and nodded as almost she's like nodding. Yes. Right. Signaling the ATF investigators that they have found a propane torch, unburned rags and saturated cardboard. So they had they had and identified the location of where the fire was started. Mm-hmm. Uh, Those smart dogs, smart dogs. Yeah. Smart I think dogs. my dog, yeah, my little lab could do it. Yeah. Crush. We have a black lab puppy called Crush. Oh, <laughs> so cute! My God, it's so cute. Jamie, have- remember when our labs were puppies? Oh my God! I know. I had a cho- I had chocolate and yellow. So weird. Um, my my yellow popped up a Facebook memory today of him being a baby, and I just put him to sleep. Um, on New Year's Eve this past oh, I know. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. I know, I know, I know. I'm not going to cry. It's all good. It's all good. But a picture popped up today of him as a tiny when I first got him at six months. And I was like, oh my God, he's so cute. We had a good 14 years, man. He's 14 years. That was a long time for a lab. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it is. Aww. I grew up with labs. I- They're the best. They're the best. Well, we are going to, our little organization today is going to be around Rosie. So we always do an organization at the end of our podcast. So we want, we'll tell you, we'll tell you a little bit about that, but okay. So they find out where the fire started. Um, And now I now in the book, Mark is gone, right? He's gone. He said he's visiting his alien father. So investigators are trying to get a hold of him, but because of his law degree, because of his expertise, he knew he didn't, he didn't have to voluntarily talk to them. Right. Mm -hmm. So it took Mm -hmm. a little bit of time, but now they pretty much know those two people were the only ones in there and he needs to be questioned. So on October 19th at 6 a.m., he is, um, cops go to him, give him a search warrant. And Rosie, again, starts sniffing yeah. out the, his car. He's, they're, they're basically taking a look at everything. They find accelerant. They smell accelerant. Um, they, they hit on a smell of gasoline. And then he was arrested. Okay. So he was arrested, charged with 19 counts um, against him, including arson. It mm-hmm. is believed that he started the fire out of frustration and anger at mounting financial problems and the fact he was facing eviction from the warehouse. He was crazy. He was. It was just a crazy deal. He was about to get busted. And that's why, you know, it was a combination of everything you said, Brandy. And I think you add on top of it, he was about to get busted. I don't know what he was thinking, what he was going to destroy. Well, if he destroyed all the evidence, they couldn't find the the massive missing cases, right? Right, right. Right, exactly. But he, he destroyed. He'd say it was bur- everything was burned in the fire. I'm sorry, that's where all your wine went, and he wouldn't owe anybody anything. So he did that. And, I, I mean, I, and from what we're hearing, he wasn't stepping on baby chickens. He was taking a lot of wine. Yeah. Out of yeah. There. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's hard to cover your tracks when you're that much wine is missing. Yeah. So I want to I want to talk about that a little bit. Was he drinking it all and sharing it with friends? Was he selling it all? Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, was, was it all just for sale? He was selling all of it. He was, okay. selling, he was it. selling it. Yeah. Most of it. I'm, I mean, sure. I'm sure a couple this. bottles, but most most of it was being sold to. I know one of it was like a company in New York. I think it was New York, if I remember correctly you know, a winery there who had no idea. They thought it was all legit. They didn't know the guy was stealing it from his stash, but I think a couple of different small wine shops is where he was selling a lot. Yeah, of a wine, a wine merchant in Chicago was a big, Oh, was it Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So let's talk about the people that were affected by this, because I told Jamie after I finished the book, my heart was just broken because not only was it wine, right? It's wine, but it's people's lives. It's their livelihood. It's something that they have took years to build. And, And we'll talk about Frances and her family and, you know, basically the connections to the 175 bottles of port and Angelica that her great grandfather made in 1875. And she just was talking about how the loss of the wine, you know, almost like severed whatever their past was in their family. Yeah. And you could just feel, you could just reading this, you could just feel the pain and just the anguish. I know one of one winemaker was like in severe depression and, you know, wouldn't, didn't want to talk about anything. And I mean, so let's talk about, we know Saintsbury, right? Everybody knows Saintsbury. Yeah. Love, love Saintsbury yeah. one, 3000 of their ones from their library collection of 20 years was yes. gone. Gone. Cause all of their library wines were there. Yeah. Oh. Um, LMR, like you mentioned, Lou Long Meadow Ranch, um, most of its inventory was stored there. Uh, Francis Dinklespiel, like we mentioned, was connected to those 175 bottles. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Via Dare. Can y'all tell us yeah. about Via Dare a little bit? Yeah, I know she, um, they lost a lot. She was one of the first people I think called to, and I think she was the one that went, if I'm correct, if I remember. Again, I read this a year ago. So I'm to get the trucks, the right? Yeah, yes. went down to yes. try and get it out of there um, mm-hmm. because she had had so much of her hard-earned savings, right, invested in it. Um, And one of the things that I remember reading, and I think even Frances talked a little bit about this when we interviewed her, was that what was really cool, like Saintsbury and a couple of the others, when they learned that they had lost all this wine, people in the community who had bottles of that started donating it back to them so that they could still have and create like a library from wine donated back. So it just, again, shows wine's connection and community nice. and giving, giving it back. back yeah. Um, and I, I think that was the hardest part of, you know, and, oh, and then, um, okay. So a movie called sour grapes, which I've never mm-hmm. seen. Have you guys mm-hmm. watched that? Yeah. yeah. It's really okay. interesting. And it, if you want to get into wine fraud and learn. Yes. So I want to watch that. Watch I'm excited them. to watch that. Yeah. We, I, we need to watch that. So can you guys tell us a little bit about wine fraud? I just, okay, so I have all these notes about, like, just I made for myself. So Sour Grapes, listeners, let's go check that out. And and I, if, I feel like, Jamie, we may even do an episode about Sour Grapes because it just sounds so interesting. Okay. You could. Uh, I might, I might, I might ruin this last name, but Rudy Kerniawan, who was considered to be a wine expert and ultimately um, was a wine, wine frauder was convicted mm-hmm. in 2014 and sentenced to 10 years in prison. So what do y'all know much mm-hmm. about, about Rudy? That's pretty much what the sour grapes movie is a lot. It goes into other areas besides okay. into him a lot, but he was a gentleman who became a wine connoisseur, got fascinated by it. Again, claimed to have a lot of wealth. We think he did. Okay. We, I think sour grapes gets into that more, but basically I know one of the surprising facts that um, I read about him is that in 2006, he sold $24.7 million of wine at an auction. And almost all of that ended up being counterfeit wine. Um, 
But one of the things that I, but I don't want to give the movie away about like no, how no, it does it. So I don't know how deep <laughs> you want to go. <laughs> okay. Well, no, don't go deep. I want to watch it and we'll get together again and talk all about it. Cause I think our listeners would love it. I know Jamie and I are going to have a, is it on Netflix? How, where, where is yeah, Netflix? I think it is. It's yeah. It's Netflix. on Netflix. Amazon prime maybe. Okay. It's one of the somewhere. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I watched it during like the first month or so of quarantine when we were binging <laughs> all movies on streaming. And I can't remember which one we watched it on, but one of those, but yeah, I don't, again, if I, there's so much, it's, I think I don't want to ruin it. So go watch, uh, go watch the movie. <laughs> okay. Also, so, and, uh, and also yeah. guys, uh, has told me the episode for Tangled Vines on major crush was season two, uh, episode eight. Oh, we could have told you that. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh my oh. gosh. We're in season two, episode eight. That's crazy, right? Oh, okay, okay, that no meant to be. Meant to be. <laughs> I remember when Brain and I were talking because, the, yeah, they weren't like listed in y'all's thing. And I was like, we have to remember it's season two. Because I'm, where the heck was I? I was driving to like look at a roof leak or something. And we were all in a three way with um, Brandy and, and Lou. And I remember I was like, okay, writing it down. And I think, I think Brainy ended up go looking to see which one it was. She was counting which one it was. And she was like, season two, episode eight. And, uh, and I just kept like repeating in my head, like a weird number person that I am. So I always knew it was that. So that's funny. Mm-hmm. Well, that is funny. Like Ironic. Well, I love what okay. you guys are doing here, by the way. We just, appreciate I, it. I like yeah. it. It's such a, we you know. really appreciate you guys being here. Really. Everybody oh, loves crying. Thank you so much. I know. I we love wine. Who doesn't love wine? Who doesn't love wine? And Brandy, and really I, I, yeah. I sent you some pictures of uh, okay. one of the one of the bunker parties. Uh, one of them is a picture of Kyle Harristy, whose great grandfather founded the wine country with Buena Vista Winery, and standing next to him is Ron Fenolio, whose jacuzzi family. They have seven wineries in the wine country and a lot of the wines and stuff. But I want I want you two to come out for this October's uh, yes. bunker party. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh. Okay. All right, we're going to book tickets now because they're cheap. Uh, Yeah, buy them now, right? I have have a flight I need to use that I had to cancel. I was supposed to be leaving for Mexico in like uh, five days. So I uh, I get to use that. So I'll just use it and come out there instead. (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah, come out to Sonoma and hang out with us. Heck yeah. Uh, we, 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 we will not say no to that. We, we know, we know better. We know better. That, that is so sweet. Okay. So guys, I know that we talked about California wine tonight and California crime, and we had told our listeners, we are venturing out sometimes because Jamie and I love wine in general. Right. But, um, so I, you guys were cool enough to send us some Texas facts about wine that I want to share with our listeners because some of these I didn't even know. And I thought I was doing a lot of research in Texas wine. So listen to this guys today, Texas has over 4,000 acres of vineyards covering eight established AVAs and beyond. Now, why the client, while the climates of all Texas winemaking regions are not the same, which we know Texas wacky, wacky weather, oh my God. Uh, the state is roughly the same size as the country of France. I did not know that. I, uh, I know yeah. it's crazy, right? 
Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I, how big? I mean, I knew how big Texas was, but I mean, it's still when you hear facts like the like Jamie's from England. By the way, I don't know if you both knew that she's actually originally from England. She doesn't sound British. Her parents, Jamie, moved here when she was ten to Texas. Her parents are very British, so if you met them, they're here in Texas. They're like, oh, you're those are your that's your child. Like, are you sure? But. Um, she, she got teased when she got to Texas, and so she lost the accent on purpose. She practiced oh. not sounding British, so that's why Jamie oh. sounds like us. You know, it, I can relate, Jamie. My mom was Canadian, oh. and when when I went to when I went to kindergarten, I would say "house" and "out" and "about." Oh. And helicopter, oh, yeah. and everybody would make fun of me too. Yeah, it's oh. rough, man. Kids are—I mean, you know, <laughs> they, they talk about not nice. bullying has been around for a long time, but we just didn't know about it. It wasn't bullying yeah. back then. It was just like <laughs> whatever, toughen up, kid. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, exactly. That was just part of growing up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, got rid of the accent real fast. But I, I always joke and say, I wish I had it back. Now I might get a date. You know. Like yeah. that, British, that British accent, you know, they come running, and I'm like, dang it, man. <laughs> well, I, I am really proud of Texas. You know, I Me think too. I think they're they're finding their their niche. Uh, that Tempranillo, Pick Pulse, and so these are these are really great. You know, Spanish, Portugal, probably they'll hit some Alicante, Boucher, and and um, you know that's I think what's going to happen is is. They're gonna they're gonna land on the varietals that flourish in that soil and that temperature. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fredericksburg, right? We know that is Texas Hill Country. Um, it's a subregion of Texas. Uh, it's a well, it's a subregion of Texas Hill Country. And Fredericksburg is known for their Chardonnay, um, their uh, Chenin Block, which we're drinking Merlot and Pinot Noir. And we're ready to go to wine country in Texas. We are ready to do some live shows. Jamie, we talked about this. Lou, you guys have to come down to Texas too when things get clear. We're, we want to go travel to he- Texas Hill Country with you. I'm not that far. I yeah, you're right close. Right here. I'm in Louisiana, so I can get to Texas easily. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we must plan a trip around going and checking out all of these wineries and vineyards that we, we, and that's the cool thing about this, right? Texas Wine and True Crime, when we came up with the concept, it was the idea of being able to go and, and really give Texas its credit, right? Bring wine mm-hmm. to, you know, we go to the grocery store a lot and not a lot of people go to the Texas wine aisle, right? But there, I've, I've been fortunate enough to been able to drink some Becker Vineyards wine, you know, Salado wine and all these, all these other wines that, you know, just they, their hearts in it and, yeah. and they appreciate it. And it, it's and Jamie and I just, again, like you said, community of wine and, mm-hmm. and just, it just brings people together and that's what makes my heart happy. And, and again, I just feel so blessed you guys were here tonight and really you, you brought so much to our show and, and I just really, really, yeah, we really appreciate it. And there's so, like you said, there's so much wine out there to be discovered all across many vineyards in California that get no recognition, many places in Texas that get overlooked when it comes to vineyards. So there's a, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more than what's on the shelf guys. Like, yep. So for sure, for sure. 
There's a lot more wine drinking to be done. Excellent. Yeah. And we'll do our hey. part. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's we'll try, try to let's try to really step up. Uh, no. You guys keep yeah, doing what right. you're doing. Seriously. Well, we right. appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank guys. you guys so much. Well, we always we always end our show with a cheers. So we say oh, until right. next time, stay safe, have fun, and cheers to next time. Cheers to next cheers. time. Cheers. <laughs> 